What's up, party people? How you guys doing? Is this on right? Is this on correctly? Maybe. No? Does it look upside down to you? It feels upside down to me. Here. You guys ready to examine this with me together? No, this is definitely upside down now. Yeah, okay. Who said, who said that was right? Okay. Hey, buddy, can you stand up in front of the crowd? Please stand up. Yeah. Look at all of them and say, I'm dumb. I'm dumb. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just really good. Anyway, it's, it's, really, it's really good to see you all. I hope you're all doing okay. He's not dumb at all. He's a buddy. He's a pal. Uh, but it's really good to see you all. I hope you're all doing really well. Um, and like I said before, seriously, thank you so much for coming out uh, week in and week out. There's a lot of things going on in this world right now. But I, I appreciate that you guys all take time to be with each other. And I know that right now there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things we got to bow through and there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons. Um, but I know one thing that's for certain, you can never go wrong um, investing into each other, loving each other, and exploring the Bible together. And so I, I appreciate each and every one of you. And if you're a guest with us this week or if you haven't been here in a while, you've come at a really good week. Because we're actually in the middle of a series that where we're talking about Jesus' love for you and I. And that might not sound um, really crazy because I feel like we're, we're at church and that, that's like what you talk about, Jesus' love for you and I. Um, but this series, it, this is what it's been on my mind. I think it's really easy to talk about how much Jesus... Jesus loves people way out there in the distant lands, far, far away, right? How Jesus loves people that are poor, how Jesus loves people that are oppressed, how Jesus loves people in other countries, how Jesus, I, I think that's a very good and valid thing to talk about, and that's easy for us to get our heads around. I also think it's easy for us to get our heads around how much, uh, how much we're messed up, right? All the sins that we do, and we could talk, and I could tell you a million things that you've done wrong, and you could feel super duper bad about that, and we could talk about that uh, all day and all night. Um, but at the end of the day, the emphasis that Jesus brings in his story and his gospel is on his heart for you and I. And that's really what I want to spend uh, some time talking about. Okay, I'm going to take a gander here and, uh, and guess that most of us in this room have wrestled with perhaps, I think, one of the hardest um, questions against Christianity, actually. I think this is one of the hardest things to wrestle with and one of the hardest things to think about. I'm going to take a gander and guess that almost all of us in this room have, have wrestled with perhaps the most prominent and uh, legitimate question of all when it comes to Christianity. And here's how this question goes. You probably heard it. How can an all-loving and all-powerful God allow for pain and suffering. Have you heard something like this before, right? People talk about this. How can an all-loving and all-powerful God allow for pain and suffering? And I think one of the reasons that that is one of the most prominent questions is it's because it's one of the only questions that has very little clean answer, right? So if I could tell you, um, you know, two plus two, what's two plus two? I'm like, you're like four. And you're like, oh, that's great, right? But this doesn't have an answer like that that's so satisfying immediately. Um, and maybe this question has jumped out in your mind before, because when you look at the world around you, you think, dang, there's some really messed up stuff in this world, right? You look at the world around you, you, you see people suffering, you see people hurting, you see people having a hard time, and you're thinking, man, this, this is really messed up. And on an existential level, you think to yourself, how can an all-loving and all-powerful God allow for pain and suffering? I think even more often, the reason that this question comes to mind, even, even if we can't admit it or not, I think the more common reason we would even ask this question is because of things that have happened in our own life, right? So after your parents' divorce, 
after a devastating breakup where you thought like me and her or me and him, we're going all the way and then, and then they, they betray you. After the loss of a loved one, particularly a loved one that you weren't expecting to lose. Um, after the loss of a dream, you thought, my, hey, my life is headed down this way. I thought God was taking me this way. And then all of a sudden, that's totally ripped away from me entirely. Um, after abuse or in pain in, in your life, how, how could uh, all loving, all powerful God allow me to grow up the way I did with the kind of pain and the kind of trauma I did? And th- this is kind of how the logic goes. If God is all loving, he would see every person's pain and suffering, right? If God is all loving, he would see every person's pain and suffering and he would, would care about it. And if God was all powerful, God would be able to get rid of every person's pain and suffering. And because there's still pain and suffering in my life, either God is not all loving or God is not all powerful. But either way, God is irrelevant. God's irrelevant. Either way, he's completely irrelevant. Because when I needed him the most, at the time I really needed Jesus to show up, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. And, and, and we're, of course, we're all here together. So, so maybe for you, going, going to church is fine. And reading the Bible is fine. And singing songs is fine. But deep down inside, there's some serious questions and some serious doubts that have ever kept you from fully trusting Jesus with your life. Have ever kept you from fully trusting Jesus. And listen, and collective, um, we never really want to shy away from the hard questions, right? You, you never want to shy away from hard questions. I, no one here is, is uncomfortable with doubt. No one here is uncomfortable with hard questions, with complex answers. No one is overwhelmed by concern. But I also never want to do you the misservice of oversimplifying a complex issue. I never want to do you the misservice of oversimplifying a complex issue. And let me know, let you know that this is a complex issue. And so we do not want to oversimplify that and give you an answer that we both know is not a sufficient answer. Um, but I also never want you to, to do the misservice of avoiding a topic because it's a hard issue. I never want to do the misservice of passing over something altogether just because we know it's a can of worms. Because sometimes the cans of worms are the things that are really blocking our relationship with God and are really giving us a hard time. So tonight, we're going to open this can of worms together. Does this sound good? I'm going to open a can of worms a little bit. And so I want to look at a story where Jesus interacts with some real people who have some real pain who have some real um, feelings and some real issues. And I want to see what we can learn about Jesus's heart together. Remember, that's the emphasis. What is Jesus's heart? And maybe in understanding Jesus's heart, we can get some clarity surrounding some of these issues. So if you have a Bible or if you have a phone, uh, you're going to want to open or just look up John chapter 11. You can just Google John chapter 11 if you want. Uh, and, and just leave that open. We're, we're going to be in there for the, the entire conversation. And that's where we're going to spend our time. But before we read it, let me set the stage here. Um, a few days prior to, to what we're going to read, Jesus was with his disciples when he got word that his friend Lazarus was sick. Okay? So Jesus had uh, his friend Lazarus, and he was friends with Lazarus's two sisters as well. So three siblings, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And Jesus is personal friends with all three of them. 
And he gets word that Lazarus is devastatingly sick, and, and it's looking really bleak. Um, and imagine in the ancient world, there, there's no phones, you're not texting anybody, you're not FaceTiming anybody. So anytime you get a message, you have to send someone to go tell that person, right? So Jesus is a few miles out, but you, we can assume that he got that message a few days after it was sent. And Jesus knows that as soon as he gets the message, Jesus knows that Lazarus said it wasn't actually sick. He had actually already died. And so him and his disciples start making the journey a few miles over to a place called Bethany, where Lazarus was already buried. And that's where we're going to pick up our story. So John chapter 11, verse 17. Here's what it says. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So imagine this with me for a second. Martha, a real person with real feelings, had just lost her brother way too early from an illness. It's an absolutely tragic thing uh, to lose a sibling. Just imagine with me uh, for a second that if you have a sibling or maybe you have a really close friend, imagine that four days ago uh, you had lost your sibling, that they had tragically died. And imagine with me for a second. So Martha had lost her sibling four days ago. Imagine with me. She was personal friends with Jesus, and she knew that Jesus was only a few miles away. So Martha had seen some things. Um, Martha had seen Jesus uh, make the blind see. She knew that Jesus could heal, right? So uh, there was a blind man, Jesus said, uh, you're not blind anymore, and he's like, I can see. Martha had seen Jesus uh, raise the dead, right? Or raise a, a, a crypt. Right, he raised a cripple. So there's a person that's crippled on the mat, and he's like, You're not crippled anymore. He's like, Get up and walk. And the guy's like, Cool. You know, and so Martha had seen Jesus do the most miraculous things, and Martha had seen Jesus heal the sick. So she knew that Jesus could heal the sick, and she knew that Jesus was only a few miles away. So she thought to herself, Man, I need Jesus right now. I need to get him over here. And guess what? Jesus is a close family friend. Jesus is a close family friend. So certainly Jesus is going to come over and he's going to heal my brother and we're all going to be good. I know he's sick, but thank God I'm I'm tight with Jesus. But this one time, this one time, Jesus didn't show up. This one time. After all Martha had been through with Jesus... After all the things that she had seen him do, after all the, all the times Jesus had healed someone else's brother, someone, someone else's mom, someone else's child, after all the times she had seen Jesus do that to someone else, Jesus didn't show up. He came four days too late. Jesus missed the death and the funeral. Imagine for me for a second what Martha would be feeling thinking, oh, my brother's tragically sick, but thank goodness, I know somebody that can heal him. But this one time, he didn't come at all. And so Martha says, Jesus, why? 
I know that if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And here in this moment, we see perhaps in the lowest moment of Martha's life, Jesus challenges her with the hardest question that he could ever ask. Jesus challenges Martha in this moment, in her lowest moment. He challenges her with the hardest question he could ever ask. He challenges her with this. Do you still believe me? Do you still believe me? You see, up to this point, Martha had decided to follow Jesus with all she had. Martha believed that Jesus was God, that Jesus was the Savior, that Jesus was going to save her life and the lives of her family and the people around her. Martha believed that Jesus was an all-loving God. Martha believed that Jesus was an all-powerful God. Martha believed that God cared about her and that God could do anything. She thought Jesus was worth following till the ends of the earth. And I think many of us in this room would say the exact same thing. We would say, yes, God is all-loving. Yes, God is all-powerful. And that's amazing. Well, listen, I need to give you a warning. There's going to be things that happen in your life that aren't going to make any sense. There's going to be things that happen in your life that you're not going to have an answer to because they're objectively tragic. They're absolutely tragic. And this is the point, unfortunately, and this is why I want to talk about this, because this is the point where so many well-intended followers of Jesus, so many people that say, Jesus, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. This is where so many people fall away from the relationship with God because they know Jesus is all loving. They know Jesus is all powerful and they know he's only a few miles away. All he has to do is come around the corner. But for some reason, for some reason, He didn't show up. The one time I needed him. The one time I needed him. He didn't show up. So is he still who he said he was? And here Jesus challenges Martha with the hardest question of all time. Do you still believe? You believed I was all loving before. You believed I was all loving when we would sit down and we would talk and, and I, I would console you over your life and we would talk about all the things going on. Do you still believe? You, you believed I was all powerful when you saw me uh, raise a man that was crippled, when you saw me um, open the eyes of a blind man, when I worked wonders in your own life, in the life of your family. You believed me then. But do you still believe? You believed that I was going to res- resurrect the dead before. She, that's what she says. But now that it's your brother, do you still believe? And with tears in her eyes, you got to imagine this. With tears in her eyes, broken, defeated, feeling betrayed by her Savior, Martha says maybe the boldest thing she could ever say. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Yes, Lord, I still believe you. And even though I don't see how this could possibly go right. I don't see how you could possibly make this have an answer. I don't see how you could ever bring resolve to this. But I know you're still the same. I know you haven't changed. I still believe. How did Martha have the tenacity to say something like that? How did Martha have the tenacity to look at Jesus in the eyes and say, Jesus, I I actually feel incredibly betrayed by you. I actually feel incredibly hurt by you. And I still believe that who you are is true. That that goes against every single instinct that that she had. So how did she do it? I'll tell you. It's how she did this. 
in the absence of answers, in the absence of answers, Martha clung to what she already knew. In the absence of answers, Martha clung to what she already knew. And what did Martha already know? She knew that Jesus Christ was a miracle worker, right? So she had seen him do these amazing things to all these people. She, she had no doubt that Jesus Christ could do miracles, including heal her brother. She knew that Jesus loved her, right? Jesus had proven to her over and over again, day by day by day. When he loves her, when no one else loves her, when he loved her family, when no one else loved her family, he had proven to her over and over again that he loved her. He spent life with her. He showed that to her every single day. She knew that if God is all-powerful, then God could see things that she could not see. She knew that if God is all-powerful, he could do things that she had absolutely no category for in any way, shape, or form. She knew that if God is all-powerful, it's never too late for redemption, even four days too late. She knew. And if God was all-loving the way she thought, she knew God would only do what was best for her even if she could never understand. So with tears in, her, tears in her eyes, she says, yes, Lord, I believe you. The story goes on as Jesus talking to Martha's sister, Mary, the other sister. Um, this interaction is fascinating. Here's what it says. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they said. And Jesus wept. I think part of the reason that so many people think uh, faith in Jesus can be so irrelevant in the deepest moments in our lives, in the worst moments in our lives. I think the reason that, that, that people think faith in Jesus can be childish, that when a hard time happens, that having faith in God can, can be so dumb. It's because I think a lot of people think that faith is an excuse to deny reality. I think a lot of people think that faith is just an excuse to n- deny reality. I remember being a little kid, and uh, I was at my grandparents' calling hours for my, my grandpa died. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been a part of calling hours. It's, it's really weird. So they take, like, the family of the person who died... And you like bunch around like the coffin or whatever. And you just kind of stay there. And then this big line of people, like everyone that has ever met your grandpa, ever, just lines up and they they walk through and they talk to you. And people say some of the craziest things I have ever heard in my entire life. People say some of the craziest things. And I remember this as a kid. I remember thinking, man, these are, this is some dumb crap you guys are saying. This is some real dumb crap. I remember they were saying like, they're like, yeah, I know you lost your loved one. I know you lost your grandma. I know you're really sad. But just know they're partying with Jesus in heaven right now, little buddy. I'm like, lady, you are... Why are you saying this right now? I'm like, I'm crying. Why would you ever say that to me? You know, I, I, I remember they would say stuff like this. I, I, know you know, I know you missed that person that was really meaningful to you, that, that cared so much about you and you cared so much about them. But just know that they're in heaven and they're smiling at you right now. Man, I really wish they were like smiling at me like here. Like that would be a lot better. But thanks for telling me that. That's really nice. I remember this one guy. Oh my gosh. I, this is, these are terrible stories. Uh, I remember this one guy so specifically. My, this was my dad's dad, and my dad and his dad were really close. So my dad was devastated, like, through this whole thing. And I remember 
This is not funny, but it's, it kind of is. Uh, I remember I was standing next to him, and he's having a really hard time, you know. And this guy comes up to him, and he's like, he's like, Jeff, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss, man. I'm so sorry, Jeff. And he's like, he, he, he's like, he didn't really know who it was. He's like, oh, thanks, man. It's cool. He's like, yeah, Jeff. He's like, yeah, so sorry for your loss. Hey man, since we're here, like I've been working on this book, and I thought like maybe you could endorse it to like your staff, and maybe they could sell it. Like I'm standing right there, and you did that, and I'm like, oh my gosh, people say the craziest things, but it, here's what it is: it's all code for hey, forget what you're feeling right now, forget what you're feeling. Hey, you're sad, you're sad, you shouldn't be sad. You have faith in Jesus, you shouldn't. Be. Why are you sad that your grandpa's in heaven? That's selfish. It's all code for them. It's all code for your feelings are illegitimate. Your feelings are illegitimate. If you have faith, you would be happy. And that is absolutely ridiculous. No wonder people think that faith can be so childish. No wonder people can look at Christians sometimes and think that all they're doing is using Jesus to deny their own reality. We think faith is an excuse to deny reality. The reality of the situation that's happening, that someone died, that I'm in pain, that I was abused, that I was hurt, that I grew up terribly. We use the faith to deny that, that Jesus, uh, somehow that doesn't happen anymore. And we use it as an excuse to deny our own feelings, that I'm in pain, that I need help. That I will be mourning for a very long time. That this will affect my relationships for the rest of my life. But if only I had faith, then I would be happier. If only I had faith. And no wonder people think that faith in Jesus can be so irrelevant to our lives. And I think so many of us think that that's what God expects of us. That we think God expects us to suck it up. That we expect that somehow if we're sad or we're mourning or hurting, or a little bit resentful of what happened to us, that that's somehow ungrateful, that that's somehow unchristlike. And you hear things like this, you hear things all the time, man, I know that, that God is working in all things for my good. That, that's a true statement, that's a really true statement. But when you're talking about how you're scarred about your parents' divorce, I really don't think that's the best thing to be saying in that moment. Man, I, I'm literally depressed because of my breakup, but I know that there's someone out there, some way, who's hotter, I think. You, can, you know, like, that, that's the kind of stuff we say, and it, it's denial of our own situation. It can be denial of our own situation. But God does not want us to be in denial of our pain. God does not want us to be in denial of the situations that we're in as if painful feelings are somehow the absence of faith. That's absolutely ridiculous because look at what Jesus does. Look at what Jesus does. When Mary comes to him, Mary collapses at her feet. She's not put together like her sister Martha at all. She's not put together. She's emotional. She comes up to Jesus and she is so sad and so thankful that he's there and so mad at him for not showing up. She's all the things at the same time, and she collapses at his feet. And Jesus doesn't look at her and be like, man, if you had enough faith, like you would, you would really pull together right now. Man, if you had enough faith, you, you would know, like, you're going to see him in heaven. Like, this, this is pretty selfish that you don't want him to be in heaven. You want him to be on earth with you. Man, man if you only had, you had faith, you, you know who I'm talking to? I'm God. You know what I'm talking to? That's not what Jesus does at all. What does Jesus do? When Mary collapses at Jesus' feet, he breaks. He breaks. He weeps. He can't keep it together either. He doesn't say, suck it up. He gets on the ground too and cries. 
he breaks. He doesn't just tear up for a second. He doesn't feel sad for a second so he can get over it. He weeps. And Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus has plenty of faith. Jesus is thankful for the things that have happened in his life. But he mourns with those who mourn. He weeps. Jesus never calls us to suppress what we feel. Jesus doesn't look down on you because you can't pull it together. Because you're malfunctioning. Because of things that have happened in your life. Jesus certainly does not call you to be in denial of your circumstances. That those really hurt you. That that's not something to be laughing or cynical about. That that's a real thing that affects you every single day. Faith is not downplaying reality for superficial happiness. It's not downplaying reality. True faith is confronting reality head on, knowing Jesus loves you enough to handle the mess. That Jesus loves you enough to handle the mess and to come in to your situation because Jesus is all loving. Listen, Jesus is all loving. That means he's perfectly empathetic. You know that friend that you can talk to and you can tell everything to and they're not just trying to like quick fix your problems but they're really listening? You know, and when you start laughing, they start laughing. And when you're celebrating, they're, they're celebrating. And when you cry, they're crying too. When you're sad, they're, they're right there. They're right there with you. They love you so much that, that there's an emotional bond between you. You guys are connected in that way. And they mourn with those who mourn. That's exactly what Jesus is like. His perfect love means perfect empathy. Not suck it up. But mourning with those who mourn. Why are you in so much pain? Why did God let bad things happen to you? I don't know. But don't think for a second that Jesus isn't crying with you. Don't think for a second that Jesus is telling you to suck it up. And a God who cries cannot be a God who doesn't care. But he doesn't stop there. I want you to see something in the story that's super interesting. Um, when, uh, you can go to the next slide. Um, there's two verses. In verse 33, it says this. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then in verse 38, it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. When you look at this Greek word for deeply moved, so the New Testament is translated out of Greek into English, so it, it, sometimes you lose a little bit of the meaning in the translation. When you look for this Greek word for deeply moved, you actually find that it means something in its original language that is not well represented in our translation at all. Um, in fact, uh, Bible scholars say that this translation actually kind of misses the point entirely of what John is trying to write about Jesus' empathy and his emotions. Um, you can go to the next slide or the next two slides. Here's what, here's what the word actually means. Um, the word deeply moves actually means to be enraged. Enraged. It means to quake with anger, like being overcome with you're so mad. Um, it means to, uh, they would even use it, a Greek would use it to, to snort with anger like a bull ready to charge or a boar, like ferocious anger, absolutely outraged. All that to say, Jesus was mad. Jesus was very mad. He went from weeping to being very mad, overwhelmingly furious, quaking with rage. And, and why was Jesus mad? Well, it says right here, 
When Jesus saw her weeping, he quaked with rage. When Jesus came to the tomb, when he saw the tomb of his friend Lazarus, he snorted with anger. Why was Jesus mad? Was it because lack of faith? Absolutely not. Was Jesus mad because he was never going to see Lazarus again? Absolutely not. He promised Lazarus that if he believed in him, he'd be in heaven with him. Why was Jesus mad? Why was Jesus mad? I'll tell you why Jesus was mad. Because this pain, this suffering, this girl on the ground crying, this death was never supposed to happen. It was never supposed to happen. Jesus is coming to earth, the earth that he made, with the people that he made. If you want to read about a God making the earth, you can read the first couple of chapters of the Bible. Jesus is coming down to this world that he made and the people that he loved. Mary and Martha were his daughters. All of us are people that he loves so deeply. He's experiencing the world as we would experience it, as a human being, feeling what we feel, feeling the punches of what we feel, feeling the pain. And Jesus is looking around seeing these people broken down, the pain and suffering that you and I all have to go through that I can't even imagine for some of you. He's looking at the pain of humanity, this dead Lazarus, and saying, what happened? What happened? He's looking at Martha, who's with tears in her eyes, trying to keep it together, and being like, Lord, I'm trying. I, I still believe it. I'm really trying. She's doing her best. What? Who hurt her? He looks at Mary, who's fallen on the ground at her feet, who can't keep it together. She's so broken, trying to trust, but lost her brother, is in unimaginable pain. And saying, what happened? Who did this? Who did this to her? He's looking at Lazarus, who's in the tomb. His friend, who died way too early. And saying, how? How could this happen? This was never supposed to happen because he could feel it in his bones and his perfect empathy, his perfect compassion, his perfect love leads him to anger, to rage because this was never supposed to happen. God didn't make a world where people die. God didn't make a world where people weep with pain. God didn't make a world where people suffer and scar and break down and think about all these terrible things and have to live in darkness every day. God didn't make that world at all. All of that is the effect of sin. The one thing God didn't make at all. The one thing Jesus did not introduce to this world. And Jesus is coming down and seeing the suffering of people he loved and saying, how did we get here? What happened? Jesus didn't make death. Jesus didn't make pain. Let me tell you right now something. I want to tell you something. Jesus hates your pain. Jesus hates your pain. He hates your suffering. He didn't make you so that you could go through life and, and feel these terrible things the way you do, so these tragic things could keep happening, so a relational breakdown and your relationship with God and all this breakdown, he didn't make you that way. He didn't make the world like that. Jesus hates your pain. He is weeping with you. When you cry, he cries. And he is enraged at what the world has done to you. And Jesus is overwhelmed with anger by the fact that his precious child, each and every one of you, 
has to live with the consequences of something that he never intended. He never intended. But I need you to see this. Because Jesus, full of sorrow, full of rage, shows us in a single instance what he's going to do about every ounce of suffering that you have ever experienced. Jesus, in one moment, paints a picture that he wants to be in your mind every time something goes wrong, every time that life breaks down, every single time that you suffer. It's what it says. And Jesus, full of rage, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus looks at Mary, and Jesus looks at Martha, and Jesus looks at you and I, and he says, do you wanna see what my promises look like? Do you wanna see what my resurrection and my life look like? Do you wanna know what I'm gonna do with every tear, with every scar, with every ounce of pain and suffering that you have ever experienced? Do you wanna know what this is gonna look like? Lazarus, come out. And the dead man walks out. Better than ever before. As if nothing had ever happened. Why do sufferings happen to you? I have no idea. Why are you in pain? I have no clue. Why did you grow up the way you grew up? Why did these things happen? Who could ever let this happen? Why do you have to live in the world that you live in? I have absolutely no idea. What specifically is God going to do with your pain? I have absolutely no idea. But I know something with absolute confidence. That whatever God does do with it, whatever God does do with your pain, it's going to look like Lazarus coming out of the grave. It's going to look like that. A dead man getting up as if nothing had ever happened, as if death didn't even exist, as if pain and suffering was immediately erased. The image of Lazarus coming out of the grave is the image Jesus wants you to have in your mind when you suffer. His resurrection, his life. And we're not going to see it for a very long time, but that's what he wants us to see. When we can't see why, when life takes its turn for the worst, when what you know, when what you expect, when what you care about most deeply is completely stripped away from you, and you're looking at Jesus and you're saying, Jesus, where were you? Where were you? Why did you let this happen? That's what he wants us to see. 
That Jesus Christ will take this death and turn it into a resurrection. That Jesus Christ will take your pain. He will take your sorrow. He will take your suffering. And he will turn it into a resurrection. And it's going to look like the dead man coming out of the grave. And Mary, who's just crumbling weeping. Trying to hold it together, but at his feet. No words, all emotion, just pouring out. Trying to, trying to grasp how the person that she worships wasn't there four days ago. And Martha, who with tears in her eyes, is trying to do the right thing. She's really trying to hold on, but she's really struggling. And she's saying, Lord, I don't know why, but I believe. But Mary and Martha got to see on earth what I swear to you, every single person in this room will get to see one day in heaven. That their pain, that the worst day of their life is transformed into a resurrection in a way that they could never possibly imagine. In a way that they had no category for. That Jesus Christ will turn this death into a resurrection. But you have to cling on to the one who is all loving and who is all powerful. And when the life takes a turn in a way that, man, I can't, I can't even begin to understand. I'm not even. But when life takes that turn, to know that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. We have to trust that in his perfect love, he will do anything to restore his hurting child. That's Jesus. That's Jesus Christ. And that is the Jesus Christ who's calling to you and saying, please let me in. Please let me restore this. Please let me take this death, your pain, your suffering, and please let me turn it into a resurrection. Do you trust me? Do you still believe? I want to have some time where we can um, where we can have some space. Uh, Zach's going to come up and he's going to play behind me a little bit. But um, I just want to dial in. I want all of us to dial in. Just just you and God, you and God. And I want to have some time where we can just talk to God. Maybe for the first time, it's sincerely. Maybe for the first time, a long time, sincerely. Maybe for the first time, period. But maybe like Mary, you don't have words. You don't know how to verbally say what, what is going on in your heart. What's happening. It just, it just is. It's just tears and pain and that's all you know. But you've never cried at Jesus' feet before. You've never taken it to him before. There's always been a little bit of a distrust. There's always been a little bit of an issue but you've never taken it to him. Look, when, when Mary fell at Jesus' feet, Jesus knew exactly what she meant. She really didn't have the words, but he knew. And sometimes you just have to trust that he's not gonna kick you and be, get up, suck it up. But he said he's gonna stoop down. He's gonna start crying too. Because he knows. 
He feels it. Maybe that's you. And maybe this is the first time tonight where you need to invite Jesus into your pain. Maybe like Martha, um, you need to look at your pain dead in the eye. Not, not in a cynical way, not in a way of denial, not in a way that's superficial. But you need to look at your pain dead in the eye. And then you need to look at Jesus dead in the eye. And come to the resolve that I still believe that I can look at this fully, but I can look at you. And I know that you are all loving. And I know that you are all strong. And I can't put this together, Jesus. I don't know what you're going to do. But I can't deny your love. I can't deny your strength. So I'm going to choose with tears in my eye that I still believe. I think some of the boldest things that have ever been said. I, I, we have this idea that well, if you're going to say something strong, you like chest puffed out and you say something really boldly. I think the boldest things that have ever happened are with a tear coming down your face. Where everything inside of you is saying, this is a really bad idea. I can't resolve this. I have no emotional resolve. I have no mental resolve. And that's what Martha did. I don't think she was, I don't think that was a bold, I still believe. I think that was, why did she, why did she do this? No. I still believe. I still believe. Maybe that's the resolve you need to come to. Or maybe, um, like Lazarus, actually, you need to put your life into the hands of Jesus Christ. You need to take your life for the first time and put it into the hands of an all-loving and all-powerful God because you don't really know what's going to happen you don't really know what's going to happen on the, on the day that you die. You don't really know what your life is about. And you really don't know who holds your future. But Jesus is all loving. Jesus is all strong. And Jesus will hold you. And whether you see it or not, when that day comes, Jesus is going to look at you and he's going to say, come out of that grave. And you need that. You need that tonight because there's no other way without him. Without Jesus, Lazarus would have stayed there. Maybe that's you. I'm going to take a couple, let's just take a couple minutes. Spend time you and Lord. He knows what you mean. There's no magic words.
I can never imagine all the things that have happened uh, in this room. God, just the questions, the doubts, the mistrust that over the course of time has just slipped in and taken over. God, we don't know why you do what we do. We don't know why you let things happen. But God, I pray for myself and for each person in this room. Jesus, that you would help us see that you are who you say you are. God, that you are all loving, that you are all strong. And even when we can't see what's happening, Lord, that we know that you will turn this death into a resurrection. But would you give me, would you give my friends here, would you give us all the faith and the courage to bring these things to you? Listen, um, if tonight, uh, if tonight you've decided anything, maybe, maybe you've decided I, I'm not going to try and suck it up anymore. I'm, I'm really going to try and process this with God. Maybe you decide I'm not going to be bitter anymore. I'm going to choose faith with tears in my eye. Maybe you've decided, I, I just want to give my life to Christ. I, I don't even know. I don't have much, but I don't know what he's going to do with it, but here it is. We, we would love to journey with you and process that with you in any way that we can, and it, it, to whatever extent you, you feel comfortable with that. Listen, I, I would love to sit down with each person in this room. I would it'd be amazing. So if that's you, uh, I would love it if you would let us know somehow uh, so we can get a conversation going. Brad and I can reach out. The best way to do that is uh, we put a link on the Instagram. It's just in the bio. I think it says Collective Next Steps. And you can just mark in there. You're like, hey, I would really love to talk about X. Or, hey, I made this decision today, and I'd really love to meet up about that. This is what collect is for. That's why we get together. We love you guys. And 